All right, we're going to go into our time of uh, the scripture reading for today. It comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 22. We're going to be reading this in the ESV, and we'll give you a chance to find the scripture on your own. We encourage you to look it up if you have a Bible handy. Again, it's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 22. And I'll be reading that for us. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preach peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, friends, we uh, are wrapping up very soon uh, this sermon series, Firm Foundation, which we've been going over uh, the entirety of the school year. I know the school year is still going on for some of you in uh, junior high and high school, but uh, for many in college, it has come to an end, but... uh, yeah, we're going to be coming to a close here pretty soon as we go into the summer. Uh, but yeah, this whole year we've been talking about how we build a firm foundation for faith. We have been talking through a lot of the different stories in the Old Testament. And uh, we've been going into the New Testament in the past few weeks talking about this big theme, the kingdom of God. And uh, I looked this up, uh, this picture, um, I thought it was kind of, uh, you know, this is the way most people think about the kingdom of God. Uh, this, the, the caption for this was, how do you enter the kingdom of God? It's a bunch of people looking up at the heavens, right? But uh, one of the things we've been talking about is that Jesus' central message is that the kingdom of God is here. It is at hand, right? Yes, the kingdom of God is experienced after you die, but not just after you die. That's one of those things that has happened, unfortunately, where we think about the kingdom in the heavens, not the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom that is here on every layer of atmosphere. It is right here with us. And what we are trying to do as Christ followers, as his apprentices, is we are trying to figure out how do we build this kingdom. And one of the things that that you may have noticed in the Lord's Prayer that we pray all the time, right, we pray, 
Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in many ways, that is our prayer. That is our hope. That is what we are trying to live for, to build God's kingdom. But when you look around, right, you probably notice there are a lot of things that don't really reflect maybe God's perfect will. Or, you know, if you think about the way that God wants it to be, right, that, that's what you're praying when you say, your kingdom come, your will be done. You do your thing, God, here on earth. And one of the things uh, uh, that you'll see when you look through Scripture, when Jesus describes what it means to live with him, life in the kingdom, it is a life of unity. Do you see that today? One of the things that we've been noticing, right, and probably you've been noticing, is just how divided our world is. And it seems to be getting worse, right? There's like political divides, you know, and they actually have been saying over like the last, you know, 30 years or so, the divide between, you know, Democrats and Republicans, it's been getting much more uh, intense. You know, it used to be like, oh, yeah, you know, agree to disagree or, you know, like, like you might actually disagree with the other side. But the number of people who say that they actually don't respect the other side, that the other side is dangerous, man, that has been increasing, right? It's not just a difference of opinion, but you are wrong. Not just wrong in what you think, but you as a person are wrong, right? Aren't we seeing that more and more? You know, there's so many things that are dividing us. You've probably seen in the news, right, the stuff in Israel and Palestine, Man, that stuff is intense, right? And even here, there's people who are like, wear a mask. No, you can't tell me to wear a mask. Get a vaccine. No, I don't trust the government. I don't trust uh, the pharmaceutical companies, you know? Uh, and, and just there's so many things that are dividing us. And what does it mean as Christ followers to be people who are living to build the kingdom? How do you do that? That's what today's message is all about. That's what the passage is about. And we're going to dive in here of Ephesians 2. I mean, it's something that I want to figure out, right? Because it's alarming. And, and, and probably for you, a lot of you, you know, some of us, we, we were sharing uh, before the service started, we were sharing our prayer concerns. And just this idea that, you know, even now they're lifting these restrictions for like masks. And, you know, there might be some people out there who are like, you know, you're supposed to, um, wear a mask unless you, you, you've gotten fully vaccinated, but how can you tell, right? And in this world where we cons- we're just increasingly looking at each other and we're suspicious, right? There's increasingly this hostility that's building between us and other people, right? And, and you, uh, the, today's message is called the end of hostility. And you see that phrase here, Jesus has come to kill the hostility within us. And that's what this passage is about. Ephesians 2, we're going to start in verse 8. And this is a very, very well-worn passage. I mean, you can preach excellent sermons. I mean, you can preach a whole sermon series on just Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. But I want to point out kind of the context here for this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast... No one may boast. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it's usually treated as this treatise for grace, for us to understand that you know, we are saved by, by grace alone, right? Not by our works. And yes, that is definitely true. But this idea that so that no one may boast, this shows us the context 
of where this, this comes. So let's continue to read, and, and I think this will become a little more clear. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. What are those things that we're supposed to walk in? It says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, if you're just treating this as a treatise about grace, this makes no sense, but you have to understand the context. Remember, this is the letter to the Ephesians. So Ephesus was a city in uh, what is now modern-day Turkey. And so Paul established a church there and so what, what's going on in this church is that um, the city itself is very multicultural, right? I mean, you, you've got influences from Asia, you've got influences from Europe, you've got influences from, like, obviously the, the Jewish people who used to live in Palestine and they've moved uh, into this area. And, and, you know, there were people in Paul's church that would have been uh, uh, Jewish by ethnicity, and there also were people, uh, Jewish by ethnicity, and, you know, grew up in that faith tradition. And then there were also people that we call Gentiles, or, you know, that they would call Gentiles, which means non-Jewish people, right? Again, another way of dividing people, right? Jewish and Gentile, Jewish and non-Jewish, right? And so there were these people who were in the same church, but they were divided. And so, you know, what some people think is that, uh, the Jewish people were kind of looking down on the Gentile Christians. They're like, ah, see, you're not real Christ followers because you didn't come from the chosen people. You're not circumcised, right? You didn't learn the law. And, and so they were increasingly becoming divided, and Paul wrote this letter as a way of saying, no, 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 no. Listen, you got to understand, if you look in, in Ephesians chapter 1, he points this out. He's like, God's will was all about trying to bring all of us together, right? And you see that here in Ephesians 2, where he's saying that, yes, at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the the uncircumcision. This is one of the ways we divide people, right? We, We give them a label, right? Like, ah, Jews and Gentiles, Democrats, Republicans, right? That we kind of write people off in that way by reducing them to one thing. And so when people looked at some people, like it was an insult. Do you guys remember David and Goliath, by the way? That, that David, you know, strolls in there. He's this little shepherd boy. He's got the power of God, and he slays Goliath with a slingshot, right? It is amazing. And one of the things that David's insults is like, where's that uncircumcised dude, you know? It was met as an insult, Right? And so saying that you were uncircumcised wasn't just a way of saying, like, you you physically haven't had this thing done, right? You physically haven't had the surgery. It was a way of distinguishing us versus them, good people versus bad people, or better people and worse people, more spiritual and less spiritual. So if you go back to Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, you understand what Paul is talking about here, the context, when he says, you are saved by grace through faith. It is not your own doing. There's nothing to boast about. 
It's not by your works. You Jewish people who, by the way, Paul is Jewish, right? He grew up in that faith tradition. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? He would have been very fastidious about following the law. He would have been a circumcised person. And, and he's saying, like, you can't look at yourself and these things that you did, these religious things, don't make you better than anyone else. The only thing of real worth when it comes to the family of Christ is not about what you have done. It is entirely about what Christ has done for us so that no one can boast. No one can think of themselves as better or superior. That doesn't exist in our vocabulary anymore, right? But it used to. We used to have these ways of distinguishing. Ah, well, I'm a law follower and you're not. I'm circumcised and you're not. And he says, yeah, there was a time where you were separated from this family. But this is the great mystery. This is the mystery of the ages. This is the will of God. This is God's plan. All along, God was planning, plotting. It's a divine conspiracy to bring about Jesus, to unite those who were far away. Now, for Jewish people, you know, there probably was a sense of pride about being like the chosen people, right? And, and, you know, the, the Jewish people, especially during this time, didn't have a lot of political power, Right? And they were probably, you know, in Ephesus, they were the minority. They were the ethnic minority. And maybe there's people who, like, they kind of looked at them and they're like, yeah, you're like the mainstream. You know, you're the majority, we're the minority. But here at church, we're the majority. And maybe they felt like that, right? Maybe they felt like here at church, we're superior. Remember, we're from the chosen people. And Paul is like, no, no. We're not having any of that anymore. You know why? Because now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Now, friends, we're going to talk more about this, but I just want to say, what is our peace now? I mean, just think about, like, let's use some of the examples that we used before, Democrats and Republicans. What is going to be our peace Honestly, if we're being really honest, I think a lot of us would, would think, when you, all, when you all convert to our side, then we'll have peace, right? When we get our way, when we push through our agenda, when we get the majority of Congress, whatever it is, right, we think we're going to get it by power. But Paul is saying, he himself, Christ himself is our peace, That's where our peace is going to come from. It's not going to come from some external situation, right? Convincing the other side. You're not going to strong arm anybody. But the way we get peace is something that was already won for you on a cross 2,000 years ago. That's where we get our peace, right? He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Now, there's a lot to unpack there that we can't get into great detail, right? But suffice it to say, I mean, we've talked before about the fulfillment of the law, right? And so, you know, Jesus isn't here to get rid of the Old Testament. He's not here to get rid of the law. He's come here to fulfill it. 
But one of the things that I think becomes clear here is the ways that the law or religious service or religious, you know, anything has been used to divide us, that I think Christ has come to put an end to. The ways that we think that we're better than other people. And by the way, friends, it hasn't changed that much. You know, even for Christians who are like, yeah, 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 let's get rid of the law. Law's the problem. We find other ways of making ourselves feel superior. I mean, there's a lot of people that, that kind of like strut around and they're like, yeah, but we're Christian, right? We believe in the gospel. And that becomes a new sense of pride. That becomes a new measuring stick. That becomes a new thing that separates us from other people. Well, I go to church. I serve on the praise team, right? I read my Bible every day. Any kind of thing, any kind of these ordinances, these, these laws, these things that we do that we think makes us better than other people. I think Jesus has come to abolish that because what it's doing is it, it is dividing us. So he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, soul-making peace. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by one man out of the two? So in, in this context, what he's talking about are Jews and Gentiles. But in almost every context, it's always two, isn't it? This is the way that we think. Friends, one of the problems that we face in this world is that um, your default setting as a human being, right? I mean, there's literally nothing you can do about this as a default setting, is that we all default towards making things very simple, right? If you think about like our ancestors thousands of years ago, and you're in a very dangerous world, and you, you have a group of people who are coming to meet you, right? Like maybe you've got a little tribe and another tribe is coming. Now, what do you got to figure out? There might be all these complexities to to that scenario, right? Like, oh, you know, they're kind of different than us. They have some things that are different, some things in common, you know? There's some, some common ground there. But the most important thing for your survival was, are you dangerous? That's it. That's all you want to know. Are you on my side or not on my side? This is our default setting. We reduce people to one thing, us and them. That's the two people, right? It's the only two people that exist when it comes to our default setting. That is just programmed within you. We all gravitate towards it, right? Now, we have this belief, and it's a dangerous myth. Um, I call it the, the, the myth of Captain America. You guys know Captain America? You guys watch Marvel movies, right? So Captain America is a guy who's frozen in time. You know, uh, so he gets frozen in the ice and through comic book magic, (laughs) he gets perfectly preserved, and then he thaws in the 2000s, right? So 70 years later, he comes out of the ice, and he's the same guy. He hasn't aged at all, but now he's in a new world, trying to learn all of the things in this world. So he came from a world in the 1940s that was, you know, in many ways, right, like, White people were the majority. There's a lot of racism. There's a lot of stuff. But Captain America is this really good dude, right? And so Captain America is actually pretty progressive, right? Like, like, like you know, he, the, when his best friend is black, you know, and, and he has no problems with anyone who is, is different than him. He's completely understanding. Why? Because Captain America is just a good person. And what a lot of us think 
By the way, I love the Marvel movies. It's not going to stop me from watching them, but I'm just saying, it's a myth, this idea that if you're just good enough, a good enough person, you are going to be, be able to overcome this default setting that all of us have. It's just embedded within you to think of us versus them first, right? That, that, that you know, you're going to try to figure out, is this person on my side or not? And by the way, friends, it's, it's a category that your mind is constructing, but it's not real. Can we be clear on that? It is absolutely not real. I mean, this is probably a longer message, but you guys probably know Jane Elliott. Um, it's a famous story about this. Uh, I believe she was in Kansas. Um, a school teacher, and, and she, she, uh, on the night that uh, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was, was uh, assassinated, um, and just, you know, the, the whole nation was just, like, inflamed from that, right? There's riots and all of this stuff, and, you know, she was so saddened. And, you know, being in, uh, it was Kansas or Iowa, one of those. Uh, she lived in a, a community that was, like, entirely white. And so she wanted to teach her kids about prejudice and, and racism and these kinds of things. And so she did this little experiment where she divided the classroom between kids who have blue eyes and kids who have brown eyes. And she was like, hey... Guys, uh, blue-eyed kids are smarter. And blue-eyed kids, uh, just, they work harder. And, um, you know, they, they have, uh, they're just more moral. They're nicer. They're more honest, right? And, you know, they did it like one day, right? And by the end of the day, man, those brown-eyed kids were getting bullied. And, you know, the blue-eyed kids were like, I'm not hanging out with you because you're brown-eyed, right? And, and the next day, she flipped it. And the same thing happened. It was completely arbitrary. You know, in this country, before, um, you know, like, like, yeah, I mean, obviously, black people were enslaved, and, you know, that was an obvious cast, you know, like, hey, you're different than me. You know, but the, the people who were uh, bullied and the people who were discriminated against were like the Irish and the Germans. Well, you're not from England, right? You're not Anglo-Saxon. You're different than us. Right? And then when all the, the black people were liberated, right, and the, the, now there is a different class. You know, it's like, oh, well, let's create this thing called white people. There was no concept of white people before. Right? I mean, it, like, a lot of people really look down on the Irish and Germans and things like that. You know, or Italians, you know, like, oh, you are so different than us. But we arbitrarily, well, you know, throughout time, because of convenience and political power and all these things, we created this thing called white people. In India, they have this thing called a caste system where they separate people who are, a lot of them are very ethnically similar, but they create this difference in, you know, they used to have to carry around these cards that said, I'm a part of this caste. It's all artificial, friends, right? But we gravitate towards it, and it's so easy. You know, one of the ways that you know that you're slipping into this tendency, this default setting, is when you call someone a name, Right? Like, 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 obviously, racial things, like, we all know what that is. You know, oh, that bleep, you fill in the blank. You know what that is, right? But we have other things, too. We're like, ah, oh, man, those liberals, those snowflakes, ah, those fascists, those fundies, fundamentalists, those, um, uh, you know, Republicans, those Democrats. You know, one of the things you hear, boomers, yeah, <laughs> You know, man, we could go on and on. I mean, you hear now, like, some people, like, they'll see someone acting up at a, a grocery store, and they're like, yeah, 
Look at that Karen over there, right? We just categorize them as one thing, right? It is very, very easy to do. It is our default setting. We look at those people and we're like, yeah, that person's an idiot. And friends, you know, if this has ever happened to you, you know how harmful this is, right? But it is our default setting. And there is a belief, right, out there. And this is why, uh, you know, most people, they're like, oh, I'm not racist. No, 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 I'm not racist, right? Because we have this belief, if you were just a good enough person, you wouldn't be racist, right? Be Captain America, right? We're all, uh, like, have an inner Captain America. So if I don't like someone... It's not because I'm a bad person. It's not because it's a default tendency within me to group people as an in-group and an out-group. It must be that there's actually something wrong with you, (laughs) right? In that default setting, you have to fight. Or, in other words, well, someone's got to fight it, right? So, friends, this is what happens, Did you know, right, and and I don't think I'm telling anyone anything crazy, right? When somebody hates you, especially like in cases of race or, you know, there's these things that divide us, right? They don't actually hate you. What's happening is that what they hate is how uncomfortable they feel when they're around you. And you're like, Pastor Steve, what's the difference? Well, if you've ever had someone hate you just because they saw you and they didn't like your face or they didn't like your eyes or they didn't like what they think you represent, right? One of the things that's so harmful about that is like, you don't even know me. And that's right. They don't know you. And by the way, the people that you call Karen or Boomer or idiots or conservative or whatever the case may be, you don't know them either. And one of the problems is that we increasingly live in this world where it's becoming easier and easier, right? Digitally, right? You can just hang out with your tribe. You can get your feed of your people, right? Getting the messages that you want to hear with your belief system. I mean, there are so many times where people, you know, have you ever been in the situation where you really like somebody? And you're like, man, that, that person's like just really cool. And then you found out that they were on the other side. They voted for Trump or something like that, you know? Or, or, or they, they're, like, really against vaccines. If you're somebody who's big on vaccines, they refuse to wear a mask, <laughs> you know, politically. Man, I remember once, like, you know, th- th- I met somebody and, like, like, man, we really seem to be getting along. It was his brother in Christ. And, you know, it just happened to ask me, like, hey, you know, who'd you vote for in the, the election? And I told him, and he was like, Oh. And just, you know, I found out that he voted for the other side. And it was like everything changed in that moment. I'm like, dude, I'm the same person, man. I'm the same person. You know, and, and by the way, friends, uh, the, like the, it works in the reverse. Uh, oftentimes, we try to figure out, even before you hear someone's opinion, we're trying to figure out what side you're on. Wait, is this a Democrat or a Republican? Is this somebody I'm going to get along with or not get along with? Is this someone who's approved by my tribe, who uses the right words, or somebody who's on the, the other side? before you even listen to their opinion. And it is a natural default setting. I I think in in this scripture, it it says it twice, but it uses the perfect word here, hostility. 
He himself is our peace, verse 14, who has made us both one, these two people, whoever you think they are, Jew, Gentile, Republican, Democrat, Christian, Muslim, whatever you think, whatever the dividing wall is, you think you're a different kind of human being. And Jesus has come to break down that wall of hostility. It is a wall of hostility, right? Now, I know some of us, well, Hopefully, really soon, we're going to be able to meet together in church. But I don't know if you remember what it was like pre-pandemic. It's so long ago, right? But one of the things that, that a lot of people, that hurts a lot of people when they come to church, especially for the first time, is they're like, no one talks to me. Or very few people do. And by the way, when you go to church, your default setting is on. Who are my people? Who am I comfortable with? And the people that are not your people are just the people that you feel comfortable around. The default setting, it is all about danger. Something within you says, this person makes me feel uncomfortable, and you will gravitate towards people who make you feel comfortable and safe. It exists within every person. It exists within me, right? And and so, friends, don't think just because you're a Christian or just because you think of yourself as a good person or a progressive person, that it doesn't exist within you. Come on, friends. Let's let's be honest. I know there are many, many things that are going on in this world where, you know, we look at things like power dynamics. But unfortunately, in this world where, you know, um, in our nation, there is a racial majority and there are racial minorities. But oftentimes, uh, across racial minorities, We think that the problem is that you just need to take down the racial majority. Just take them down. Take them down a peg and everything will get better. It will not. You know how I know this? Look at Rwanda. They had the Hutus and Tutsis, and this was established by European colonists. They they divided the people, and some of them, they they, they said, like, hey, I like the shape of your nose. Some of you are a little darker skin. Some of you are a little lighter skin. And they just arbitrarily divided these people. Hutu and Tutsi is a complete cultural construct. It's not a real division. But one was in power and the other wasn't when the European colonists were there. And after they left, there was a genocide. And you know where the genocide happened? It came from the minority, the people who didn't have the power, now flipped it on the people who had the power and just started killing people by the thousands. Please do not kid yourself into thinking that the problem can be fixed by just taking down people a peg, right? And then there's people who are minorities who are like, man, it's white people. They're the problem. I hate them. Maybe we won't use that language. But friends, if that exists within you, it's the same problem. It's not going to get fixed just by bringing one group down. It's the tale as old as time, right? There was a time where it was, you know, the tribe over here by the grass and the tribe over here by the rocks and the tribe over here by the waters. It exists within all of us. And when you come to church, that exists within you. And there might be a lot of people who feel left out, who come to church and they're like, man, this church, there's so many cliques. You know, I'm a new person. You know, they come to LGM and they see a lot of Asian faces. And somebody who's not Asian, people don't talk to them as much. I mean, it's not because people come to to LGM and they're like, I'm going to racially exclude someone today. It's your default setting. 
you gravitate towards people who are like you, who you feel comfortable with. And so, friends, you have to understand that feeling you get, it is so primitive, it is so immediate, that when someone who, for whatever reason, it could be many, many different things, something within you triggers and says, that person is not like me. That person may be dangerous, and you will feel uncomfortable. And your tendency will be to draw away from them. And what Jesus has come to do is to get rid of that, that hostility. Now, one way that he does that is by exactly what we saw before, right? Now, uh, uh, it it is that grace that he comes to preach. So so let's see this, right? It says... um, He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, right? So it is through the cross that the hostility is getting killed. Now, what does that mean, friends? I mean, I think all of us know that what Jesus came to do on the cross was he came to die for our sins. That's what sin is, right? Sin is what divides you. It divides you from God. It divides you from other people, right? And so that's what Jesus has come to do, to get rid of that. He came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, so Jesus died for us on the cross Died for all of our sins. There are some people who maybe could have said on some level, hey, I'm just a better person than you. Uh, well, you know, I, I was following the Jewish religion, so I was following the law better than you. But for Jesus and for God, he's like, yeah, but are you a lawbreaker on any level? You know, let's not try to make a different classification. Like, well, you have to understand, I was a little bit more holier. I was a little bit closer He came and preached peace, and he came to bring close those who were already pretty close and those who were really, really far away, right? Both of them, Jesus died for. And that whole idea, it is by grace through faith that you have been saved. It's not your work. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. When Jesus dies on that cross, we die with him, and our sin does too. But in order for you to claim that, that power, you have to understand you are a sinner. It's no Captain America's here. I'm sorry. We all have bias. We all have tendencies to hate. We all have tendencies to think that we are better than other people. And by the way, friends, I mean, it's one of the things that doesn't, doesn't like fit our narrative, but you see people who um, maybe like they're really, really bad to the out group, but really, really kind and good to the in group. You notice that? That's a part of our history too. It's ancient. Your tribe, I mean, you're about survival, so you can be so generous to the people in your group. And it, it, it seems so inconsistent, right? You could love them, sacrifice for them, do everything for them, but the outgroup you could kill. You could literally murder them because they're not us. That's what happens. 
I mean, how do you explain Nazi Germany? It is too simplistic for people to say they were just evil. The Nazis were just evil. All of them? Are you sure? Or was it this tendency that we have this profound potential for evil when we look at someone else and say, you are not us. You're lesser somehow. These are my people. But when we say we are all sinners, but yet we are all God's people through what Christ has done for us on the cross. Amen? And when you realize that, when you realize your own sin, when you realize how amazing it is that I can access grace and be brought close to God and the family of God, how dare I go to another precious child of God and say, you cannot come. Or say, I'm better than you because I found, about Je- found out about Jesus a little bit before you. It is not to your credit, right? It is not on your merits, right? No one can boast. No one can boast anymore. Now, you might be looking at this passage, right? And, and it, it finishes with this idea in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is a beautiful picture of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be, right? Now, I want to say, friends, something. That, that I want you to keep that in mind. This is what God is trying to do. He wants to come and dwell in you. We talked about that last week with the idea of the Holy Spirit, right? And if he comes and dwells in you, then the way that we treat other people is going to be different. God wants to unite us with him and with other people. He wants to kill the hostility that you have with other people so that you can love them. What are the two greatest commandments? Love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as if they were you. That's it. That's what the Holy Spirit is coming to do. That's what's happening when we're inviting him in. But there's another thing that we do. And maybe even as we were reading the passage, you're like, yeah, but Pastor Steve, the operative word is in Christ. Okay, I'm going to do that with Christians. I'm going to do that with people in the church. But did you notice before I said one of the ways we divide each other, Christian, Muslim? Maybe some of you were like, wait, 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 wait. Pastor Steve, I thought we were only talking about Christians here. I'm sorry. We can't be let off the hook there, okay? Let's take a look um, at what it says in Romans 12. It says, uh, Romans 12, oh, uh, sorry. Uh, I'll just read it for you. It says, bless those who bless you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, which means think you're better than other people, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with who? Christians? People agree with you? It's the same game, friends. It's the same con. No, there is no more two different kinds of people. In Christ, effectively, all people are being made one. And yes, there might be some people who haven't been joined with Christ yet, but they are still just like you. You are no different. You are no better. 
Just because you know Christ, it doesn't make you categorically this different kind of human being. We are all part of the same human family. And so that's why, you know, uh, Paul can say, uh, the writer of Romans can say, you know, bless those who persecute you. Right? If someone is treating you badly, it's the ultimate way to say you're the enemy. You're the them. Right? I mean, Pastor Steve, we can draw the line at, you know, people who just we make assumptions about. We don't really know them. But what if someone actually hurts you? And we see in Scripture, it still says, bless them. Want good for them. Pray for them. Love them. Forgive them. Why? I mean, Jesus did the same thing for us, didn't he? We nailed Jesus to the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right? And that act of forgiveness on the cross, it covers all of us. And it covers them too. So if Christ forgives them and we are united with Christ, we don't have an option anymore to say, well, I just don't feel like forgiving them. Yes, you might have that natural tendency, that natural hostility, but we need to bring that before God. Um, if you look at the rest of uh, Romans 12, uh, there is this stuff about this idea that, beloved, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And it is this idea that, yes, there might be some evil in this world, and and some of us, we can't stand it. We're like, but Pastor Steve, we need justice. Justice for most human beings. Uh, You know, this is probably a longer, longer sermon, but for most of us, it's really not justice, it's vengeance. Right? And even if there is vengeance, it does not belong to us. It belongs to God. Our job is to be at peace with all people. Because, I mean, we can't even judge other people because we don't know them. Right? And so our job is to be at peace with all people. Why? Because remember what, what it's saying is this idea that we are supposed to be the dwelling place of God. Right? We want to have within us the peace of God. And, and so, friends, um, this is just, a, 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 you know, uh, whether or not you can, um, you know, change everyone else. Right? A message like this, you hear it and you're like, Pastor Steve, that's great, but, you know, why does it have to fall on me? What about those other people? And, and friends, you know, unfortunately, the only person that you really have responsibility for that that you really can change, right, directly, is yourself, right? And then within your community, as you become connected to God, you have opportunities to connect to other people. But one of the things we have to do is we need to get rid of the hostility or we don't stand a chance, right? If we want to build the kingdom of God, it's got to start in your own life, in your own hearts, in your own emotions, right? And so this is building the kingdom of God. It it seems like a small step, but you will have the freedom to be able to love people in a way that you're not before because you're not subject to that old operating system. You got to work through it. You got to let the grace of Jesus Christ kill that. But one of the things that I think we absolutely need to do is acknowledge it when it's there.
in this world, you know, most of us, we just make an excuse for it. We're like, yeah, but they really are idiots. They really are dangerous. I must be onto something. But if we can all confess, no, we're all sinners, all of us. There's not a single one that is better. So my job is to let the Holy Spirit kill this hostility within me. Let it die on the cross of Jesus Christ. I am forgiven for that, and I'm forgiven for my sin, and now I become about forgiveness in this world. Can I ask the priest team to come up? One of the ways you can practically do this, friends, is um, to acknowledge when you feel that hostility. We all do, right? That discomfort when you're around someone. By the way, friends, I think that's what we should be doing at church. You know, you come to church and, yes, you're going to feel naturally drawn to certain people. And maybe there's someone who they just make you feel uncomfortable for some reason. It could just be because you don't know them. It's because you don't like talking to strangers. Maybe some of us, we're afraid of coming back to church because we're like, it was so cozy in our homes. No one can harm us in our homes. But friends, as you know, um, you know, and, and probably, you know, because we've been quarantined for so long, you know, whenever I come to church, you know, this morning when I came in and I saw Mike White, and, you know, I saw Mike a couple of weeks ago, but not regularly, you know, and usually the praise team, the, the uh, media team, it's the same people. <laughs> they rotate. It's great. I love seeing y'all. But man, when you see someone you haven't seen in a while, or maybe some of you have started having this experience of hanging out with people again, it's almost like, like we're, we're like this sponge that was dry for so long that we didn't even know. It just became our new normal. And when you start connecting to people again, it's like, it's just, this is what we were made for, right? Friends, if we can live in peace with other people, if we can be a people that can really connect and we can see the kingdom of God in even a small thing, like when I see somebody who naturally had some hostility for, as able to, to die on the cross of Jesus Christ. Man, that's such a beautiful thing. It's such a life-giving thing. I, I just want us to, to just take a moment, friends. I want you to think about somebody that you dislike. Like, like seriously, you know, I don't know if you're going to do this or not, but if you want to get a full benefit, like, picture their face. You know, maybe you can even picture a conversation where they really pissed you off. You're like, man, this person is just wrong. Can you, can you just picture that for a moment? And can you just confess that before God if you have this hostility with him? Can we bring it before God? Just in this moment, also just... ourselves before the cross. Whatever sins we may have, and maybe our sin is the way we've been treating other people or thinking about other people, can we just take a moment to give that to God? Give it all to God. Let it be nailed to the cross. Let Jesus do it.
Precious God, we confess, Lord, that we live in a world that is so divided and just maybe for many of us, God, um, we have these feelings towards other people, God, and um, there are things that we deal with that are dividing us. God, we just want to bring that before you, Lord, and to know that on the cross, we are forgiven, they are forgiven, May we learn to live at peace, knowing that this is what you call us to. This is the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.